0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 31st of January 2010, entitled Thoughts Upon Psalm 80, and the Bible reading is taken from Psalm 80. Here's Brother Steve Elliott. Very good evening to you all. Um, I just hope my voice lasts the whole two hours tonight while I'm preaching. I'm only joking. And the pastor was looking at his watch then. <clears throat> I'd like to um, share a few thoughts tonight from Psalm 80. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, please. Psalm 80. And I don't know if you know this, but King David, he didn't write all the Psalms, you know. Uh, there were various people that wrote Psalms. And um, Asaph, a man called Asaph, was one that wrote at least 12 of the Psalms. And um, he, well, oh, this one is accredited to Asaph. And I would just like us uh, to read uh, this evening 11 verses. And we're going to think especially just upon um, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11. Okay, those, uh, those four verses. Um, so if we'd like to stand for the uh, honor of reading God's word. <clears throat> okay, verse 1. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up thy strength and come and save us. Verse 3. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears, and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us a strife unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 8. Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it. Thou preparest room before it, and didst cause it to take deep root, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with a shadow of it, and the boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars. Verse 11. She sent out her boughs unto the sea, and her branches unto the river. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, I'd like us just to uh, think uh, tonight upon those few verses, verses 8 to 11, um, and I believe here that we can see a few parallels between Israel and the Christian. And uh, these are simple uh, pictures, if you like, or types. You know, in the Bible, there are a lot of uh, types in the Bible. Incredible uh, how things uh, point the, to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, things that happen in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to have a look at a few um, parallels, pictures, uh, if you like, tonight, um, that show the similarities between Israel here and the Christian life. And the first one I want us to uh, look at at tonight is found in verse 8. And notice here that it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. And these verses actually depict the time when God brought Israel as a nation out of Egypt, okay? It says, thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. And I don't know if you know, but when Israel came out as a nation of Egypt, that they were a vine that consisted of, at least, the Bible tells us, there were 600,000 men, besides women, children, children and their flocks. So, if you count the women as well, you'd say probably another 600,000. Okay, so we're looking at over a million people of this nation that consisted of, of Israel. This vine consisted of over a million people. And it says here that God brought them out of Egypt. Let's just have a look at Exodus. And uh, this is very um, a very well-known uh, story, and um, does anybody know which uh, feast that the, uh, the Jews celebrate that this is a celebration of? Peter? The Passover. That's right. Why did they call it the Passover? Do we know? That's right. Because they had to apply the blood, didn't they, to the door lintels and to the side posts, and the Bible says that when God saw that blood, that he would pass over, okay, and their children, the children of Israel, their young ones, the firstborn, would be saved, unlike the children of Pharaoh. And that is the night where the Israelites came out. The vine was brought out of Egypt. So let's just have a look at that. Uh, Exodus chapter 12 and uh, verse uh, 41. And it says, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the same day, incredible, that not it? It came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land Of Egypt and verse 42 it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. And if you go tonight to the land of Israel, well, probably not right tonight, but if you go in April sometime, you will know that uh, not only Christians, yeah. The Israelites as a people, as a nation, they celebrate uh, being brought out of Egypt, the Passover. They celebrate the Passover, and it's a big, um, it's a big important um, remembrance and a feast that the children of Israel remember. Uh, Psalm 106 and verse 10, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it says this, and it says, and he, speaking of God, it says, he saved them from the hand of him that hated them. Who was that? It was Pharaoh, wasn't it? And who he represented, his people, the Egyptians. And it says, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the first parallel, the first picture that I want us to see here tonight is a type of deliverance. You see, God brought his vine, brought his children, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And it's a type of the Christian deliverance. God has delivered us, dear friends. If you're a Christian here tonight, God has delivered you out of Egypt. He's delivered you out of the world, out of the world system. And He saved you. He's delivered you and He's brought you out. A few scriptures that bear this out um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse 10. Okay, let's just have a quick look at that one. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 10 there are many many verses that speak of, um, of the, the deliverance of the Christian and it says here in verse 10 it says, "Who hath delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver uh, and doth deliver and in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us and if there are any Uh, budding preachers here tonight I'm sure we could get a three-point sermon just from that verse but it says here that he's delivered us from so great a death just like he saved the Israelites on that night and we're going to have a look at that in a few moments how he delivered the Israelites from a great death and he's done that with us 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 says this and it says and to wait for his son from heaven Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. When the Lord Jesus Christ saved you, dear friends, not only did he save you from a great death, but the Bible says that he saved you from the wrath to come. There is a great wrath, dear friends, that is about to come upon this earth and upon Christ rejecters. It's going to be a fearful time. But the Bible says that if you're a Christian here tonight, that God has delivered you from that wrath, the wrath of God. And you don't want to be under that wrath, dear friend. You read about the wrath that God pours out in the book of Revelation. You don't want to be around in that time. But he's delivered you. Not only that, but in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, speaking about the Lord Jesus, who gave himself... For our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world. You know that this world, the Bible says, is evil. This world that we're living in right now, this present evil world, but it says that He's delivered us from it according to the will of God and of the Father. Wow, praise God. You know, Alan, tonight, that you have been delivered, you've been delivered from the wrath to come. You've been li- been delivered from a great death. That's wonderful. That's something to rejoice about tonight. Now, how long were the Israelites captive? Well, we've just been reading that in Exodus chapter twelve, but the Bible says that they were captives in Egypt for how many years? Oh, come on, treasurer. Oh, hey, four hundred and thirty years. That's how long Israel were captive. In Egypt. That's how long that they were in Egypt for. And they were captive to the Egyptians. Now, we know that a lot of that, some of the time that they were there, that they were well um, looked after. Okay. Um, But they did suffer. And they were suffering at this time. Okay. And God delivered them out of this. And it made me think as I was reading this um, how long were we, yeah? Before we became Christians, how long were we sojourning in the wilderness? Now, I got saved when I was 24 years old. But, you know, when I think about it, 24 years living on this this earth, uh, you know, I have been to Sunday school before, and I had, you know, heard Christian teaching. But 24 years, you know, it it is a long time to make a decision to come to the Lord. Now, I know some people don't hear um, as much as other people do but you know when I was in Sunday school growing up I did hear about the Lord Jesus um, but 24 years I was in the wilderness I wonder how long were you in the wilderness before you became Christians you don't have to shout out but you know it doesn't really matter how long in a way just as long as you do get delivered and you get saved but you know that people get saved when they're in their 60s when they're in the 70s and 80s and that's wonderful But, you know, that is quite a rare thing to happen. But The Bible says that we need to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. The days of our youth. That's when we need to really think about the Lord. And, you know, we need to pray for the ministries that go on, even in this church, for the young people. But also we need to be in prayer for the ministry with, uh, with the older people as well. Because there is hope. While people are still alive and they can still comprehend the gospel message. You know, there are still people in their 70s and 80s that are sitting in the rest homes that get the gospel every single month. And you know, it doesn't matter how long that they've been in the wilderness. There is hope for these people yet, as long as we share the, the, the good news with them, there is hope for them. You know, we've been thinking this morning about how uh, the devil he holds people captive and. That verse that the pastor was sharing this morning, let's just have another quick look at it. Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah 14, and um, I don't know how many times I've read this. I've read it at least um, two times, I know that. But um, it says in verse 17, it's speaking about Lucifer, about the devil, and it says that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, And it says that opened not the house of his prisoners. And the pastor was saying this morning that, you know, the devil, if it was up to the devil, he would not lose one. And he has never lost one by his own strength. It's only by the grace of God that we have been delivered, we've been saved. But he holds people captive. And he will hold people captive all their life until they go down to the grave and eventually go to hell. He doesn't have mercy upon anybody. He wants to keep people chained up and captive for eternity, because that's where he's going to spend eternity. But he wants people to go there with him. But thank God that there are many in this room tonight that are not going there. You've been set free. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that one's been saved and set free today. That's wonderful. But the devil... He will hold captive. He will hold people captive. But praise God that the gospel, the light of the gospel, can set people free. You know that Egypt, um, Brother Panos and uh, Amber, just come back from Egypt. Um, I'm sure that they they realize this, especially from the scriptures. But Egypt is a type as well in the Bible. And you know that Egypt is a type of the world. Let me just... um, bear that out in a a moment or two, but Egypt has always been the land of captivity and slavery. And for one to wish to return to Egypt was a sign of departing from the true God. Now, you know, when the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt and things weren't going too well, and, you know, the Egyptians were were coming behind them and they were facing this uh, Red Sea and they were fearful, you know, that they wanted to go back. They wanted to go back to, the, to Egypt. And you know, it's a type of the Christian going back to the world. We've been saved, we've been delivered from the system of this world. But you know that the, many Christians have a desire to go back and to give up. That's what the Israelites wanted to do. And it happened quite a few times in the Bible. But uh, Egypt was a picture of the world and of going back to the world. And the Israelites were told in the word of God very clearly that they were not to go back to Egypt for help, for strength, to go back to their gods. Yeah, none of that. Let me just bear that out. Isaiah chapter 30, and we read in verse 1. You know, the Bible says that there is a woe upon those uh, Israelites that wanted to return to Egypt. And it says in verse 1, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel but not of me, and that cover with a covering but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. That's what happens when you go back to the world. Verse 2, that walk to go down into Egypt... And have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. Verse 3. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. Now we know that the Israelites, well at the start, Joseph, he went down into Egypt, didn't he? And this is a way that God was going to preserve his people but now the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt. The Bible says that they're not to go back. They're not to trust in the gods of the Egyptians and to make, um, to make uh, Egypt and Pharaoh their strength. That's important. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, we have here an account of Moses. Yeah, The Bible says that Moses, he forsook the pleasures of Egypt. And you know that Moses is a type of the Christian here. This is what we should do as Christians. We're to forsake, to turn our backs on the pleasures that this world offers, the sinful pleasures. Let me just show you uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. And it says here that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, it says, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yes, there is pleasure in sin. Sin is very, very pleasurable to the flesh. But it says here, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see that Moses was looking for the reward, and that's what we need to do. We need to keep our eyes upon the Lord Jesus and what he has for us, because it's a lot better than anything that the world has to offer us. You know, a brother, um, Brother Roy, said to me a, a few um, weeks ago, and this, this uh, quote is... You know, it's, I can still remember it very well, but he says that the world has got absolutely, got world has got nothing to offer the Christian. It hasn't. It's not lasting. There's no life in it. The world has got nothing to offer the Christian. James 4 and verse 4, speaking about those that will have friendship with the world, it says this, it says, You adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity, that means hatred, with God? Whosoever, therefore, would be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You want to be an enemy of God? I don't. Let's be friends with God and uh, let's make our friendship with him, not with the world. Not only do we see that in verse 8, but uh, another thing we can see in verse 8 is, is, we can see here that God is the one that delivers His people. Okay? Verse 8, it says here, it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Notice that first word in that verse, it says, Thou. It's speaking singly, it's speaking about God. He is the one who delivered His people. And, you know, when you think about the children of Israel, And how the situation looked when they were down at the Red Sea, yeah, and Pharaoh once again hardened his heart against the Israelites, and he decided that he was going to come against these people. And can you imagine, yeah, that you are down on this seafront, okay, and you're looking across this sea, and you look behind you, and you see the armies and the chariots, of Pharaoh's army coming after you. How would you feel about that? Oh, you you would be fearful. But do you know that God is the only one that could save his people? And how did he do it? The Bible says that Moses was given a rod, and he was told to um, put that rod out towards the sea. And the Bible says that the sea separated. You would never have thought that, would you? Yeah, in a million years. But God delivered his people in the only way that he could do it. And I would, um, I would love to have seen Pharaoh's face when he, when, you know, he saw that last, that last thing happen to, his, to, to him and his people. And the Bible says that they went into the water and the seas covered them and they were, they were wiped out. But God is the only one that can deliver his people. I wonder how many today are trying to save themselves. Are there uh, one or two maybe here in this room this evening? Maybe you've been to church so many times and you've read the Bible and you've been to this and that meeting and you've been into churches for many years, but you're still trying to save yourselves. The Bible says that it's not by the good works that we perform that will get us into glory. It's only by grace that we'll ever get saved. God is the only one that will ever deliver us who has the power to do it. You know, tonight there are many people that are ignorant of the righteousness of God and they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness. Let's just have a look at a verse in Romans chapter 10 and verse 3. And I was reminded of this a few nights ago when I was um, speaking with a dear brother and he, he was telling me that it's, um, his son was uh, preaching uh, upon this verse, and he was basically thinking of the many religions, and he was thinking especially of uh, the, the religion of Islam, okay? But it says here in, um, in verse 3, it says, for they being ignorant of, speaking about the children of Israel, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own Righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And you know that is the problem. That man goes about trying to establish his own righteousness. Now this might mean coming into a church and doing good deeds and being a good person. But it's your own righteousness. It's not the righteousness of God. And the only righteousness that you can ever have is the righteousness that Jesus Christ has And he will give that righteousness to you once you put your trust in him. The Bible says that we're saved by grace. Titus chapter 3 from verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us. And he saved Israel on that night, Passover night. Not only can we see that... Uh, God is the only one that delivers his people. But we see also here in verse 8 that he is the one that clears the ground. Verse 8, it says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, and it says, Thou hast cast out the heathen. Thou hast cast out the heathen. Who were the heathen? Well, in this psalm, remember that the exodus has already happened. Okay? The time where Joshua entered into the promised land, into Canaan with Caleb. This time has already happened, okay? And he's looking back now, okay? And he's speaking about the heathen that were um, were cast out. Who were the heathen? Well, the Bible says that there were seven classes or seven different peoples. And we read about these in the book of Joshua. We don't need to turn there, but I've got them listed down here. They were the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Peretites, uh, Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the who else? The Je, Je, they used to live in Jerusalem. Jebusites, yeah? These were the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So there were seven, yeah, classes of people, groups of people that were in that land, strong, yeah? Had armies. Were used to fighting. And the children of Israel, before they went into the land, they were very fearful of these people that were in the land. They were fearful of their strength. They were fearful of the size of these people. Now, let's just have a look in Numbers chapter 13. And let's have a look what's recorded here about the heathen. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 28 tells us that these people, these Giants and were very, very strong. It says here in verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. Then it goes on to say, And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Remember when they went to, to spy out the land, okay? And a bad report came back. But we see here that it says that there were a people that were strong and they were dwelling in the land i believe that here we can see another type because you know when the devil takes captive takes people captives that he likes to put strongholds in people and he likes us to be captive by these strongholds and i believe that this is a, a kind of a picture of what we're seeing here because these captives, sorry, these um, strongholds were very strong, very tough, like these people. But you know that there are strongholds in our lives. Even as Christians, there are giants, strongholds in our lives that make us captives. And we're captive to them. And sometimes we're captive to them for many, many years until we actually give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let him deal with it. But you know here it says that he is the one that he clears the ground. Now, we have a a brother here. It's great to be able to call him Brother Alan tonight. He's a new creation, a new creature in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know that Alan, just like the rest of us here, are going to have to have ground cleared out. Remember when John the Baptist came, it, the Bible says that um, you know, prepare, the, pr- prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, And there needs to be a way that is being prepared. And the Bible speaks about sanctification. And it's not going to happen just like that. It's going to take time. But thank God that when you're born again, that's when it happens. But you know that we need to be um, available to God to let him do that work. Otherwise, those strongholds will just make us captives and we won't be free at all. But God wants to deliver us and he wants to clear those strongholds, whatever they are. We may have different strongholds in different our, our lives. Okay. And I could give you a list of them probably that, that are in my life. But thank God that I can give those to him. And he is and dealing with them. He is dealing with things in my life and he can deal with those things in your life. And set you free. It's wonderful. Praise the Lord. Isn't that why the Lord Jesus Christ came? Isn't that his ministry? You know the Bible says for the Son of God. Sorry for this purpose the Son of God was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And it's his work. He wants to do it. And he wants to set the captives free tonight. Whatever it may be. He can set you free. Not only do we see that he clears the ground, but we see also here in verse 8 that he plants that vineyard. It says that thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt, thou hast cast out the heathen, and then it says, and planted it. I wonder, have you ever, I don't know if there are many gardeners here in this room tonight, but I wonder, have you ever tried to pull up A strong root. You know, I've come across plants in my garden that look so small, so weak, and I just come along and I think, well, that's coming out. And you get hold of it and you think, oh, like that with one arm. And you think, oh, what happened there? And you go back and you get two hands on it and you still can't get it out. And those roots are so in that ground that there's no way that you're going to be able to get those roots out and get that tree out unless you get some sharp instrument and you cut the roots out. Yeah? You know that people have been trying to uproot Israel from that land for centuries, for thousands of years now. You know that the devil doesn't want them to have that land. The devil doesn't want the Lord Jesus Christ to come back to a place called Jerusalem and to make his capital there. And the devil has been trying to um, uproot and he's been trying to cast these people away from this land for thousands of years. Do you know that before the children of Israel, before they came back in 1948, that there was an idea that these people, children of Israel, that wanted to come back, there was going to be a land that was going to be for them. Does anybody know what what that land was called? It is called that today, I believe. It's in Africa somewhere. Uganda. This was supposed to be the promised land where the children of Israel were going to be coming back to. This is the land that they were going to start to prepare. But no, the Bible says that God has a land, for his people. And he's going to plant them there. And they're going to take root there. And they're going to stay there. Now, people might not like that tonight. People that you hear about in the news, and the media. Yeah? But God's word says that that's the land that he has chosen for his people. For them to be there. Otherwise, why did he deliver his people from Egypt in the first place? Why did he deliver them... Why did he help them get back into the land? Because God has a plan. And God's plan will be fulfilled. Now, the Bible speaks very clearly that one day Israel will be eternally planted in that land. Let me just turn you again to the book of Isaiah. Isn't it an amazing book, that? Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 21. And this is speaking um, of the future. Speaking about God's people, the Israelites, it says here that thy people also shall be all righteous. These are the ones that come to put their trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no righteous people apart from the Lord Jesus. And that includes Israelites, it includes Egyptians, it includes Iranians, it includes any, any people upon this earth unless they're in Christ Jesus. But it says here that thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land for how long? Forever. And it says the branch of my planting. He's the one that's going to plant them. The work of my hands that I may be glorified. So it's all for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not for their glory. It's to glorify the Lord. That his purposes, his plans come to fruition You know that the Christian has also been planted. The Bible says that if you are a Christian here tonight, that you have been eternally planted in Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at a wonderful verse from Romans chapter 6. And you know, um, there's going to come a day, um, God willing, when uh, Brother Alan will uh, choose to be baptized um, but this is just a picture of what happens when we become a Christian. We identify with the Lord Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that's what baptism is all about. But it says here in verse 3, it says, Know you not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. When you became a Christian... The Bible says that you were baptized, you were brought into Jesus Christ. And it's like when Jesus Christ died, you died. When you became a Christian, your old life dies. And this is what baptism is a picture of. It's a picture of your your funeral service, if you like. You're dying to the old man. And when you come up out of those waters, yeah, it's like you're being brought up to new life. And it says in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the glory by the, sorry, from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And it says in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, which we have, you're a Christian here tonight, yeah, you have, been, you have been planted in the likeness of his death. He died for you. He took your um, punishment. Yeah. It says we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Yeah. We're brought to new life. And one day. Yeah. We're going to be our bodies are going to be delivered as well physically in the resurrection when we go to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have been planted. The Bible says here and we're being planted together with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that those roots that you have been planted into Jesus with can never be severed, can never be cut. You know, if you're a Christian here tonight, God has you in the palm of his hands. He has you in his arms. And those roots go down deep into the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that when Jesus Christ saves a person, they can never, ever be lost again. They can never go back to Satan and be his. You become born again. It's wonderful. New roots in Jesus. I wonder tonight, have you been rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you haven't, why not? Why Why not? Why wait any longer? Why not make that decision tonight? Just like Brother Alan here has made that decision to become the Lord Jesus Christ, you can make that decision tonight and have your roots grounded in Jesus and be joined to him. Wonderful. Why wait any longer? Just a couple, of, couple more points here. Uh, verses 9 down to verse 11. And as we see here that God prepares room for the vine to spread deep and wide. And um, back to Psalm 80, and let's just have a look at verses 9 and 11, just be reminded. It says here that thou preparest room, this is when they've been planted, before it, and didst cause it to take deep roots, and it filled the land. The hills were covered with the shadow of it. And the bows, the the branches thereof were like the goodly cedars. Verse 11, she sent out her bows unto the sea and her branches unto the river. I wonder have you ever seen uh, a vine spreading itself out? When, a few years ago, when I was back in Chile, in the back garden of Mama, my my mother in law, I call her Mama, that's her name. they decided to plant a vineyard or a vine okay. and um, I was the one that was supposed to um, build uh, a support around it okay. and uh, when I built this support around it, which was just above my head the idea was that I could just weave some of these branches um, uh, around this, um, this frame and you know that when I went back a few years later I couldn't believe that that was the same tree. You see that these uh, boughs, these branches, had actually gone here, there, and everywhere. And it was all covered. You couldn't even see the top of it. And there were grapes coming down. Just incredible. Yeah. Just incredible. But here, we see here that God is preparing room for his people. He's planted them in the land, and he's saying here that, um, that, he's, um, that they're going to spread deep, And wide. Now, the Bible says exactly the land that Israel were going to and are going to receive one day, the amount of land. And we haven't got time to turn there right now, but in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18, we see that it's from the river, which I believe is talking about the river Nile, which is down there in Egypt, and it goes right up to the river Euphrates. Okay, this will be the extent of the land. And we do see here, don't we? Um, in the verse 11, it says that she sent out her bows unto the sea and her branches unto the river. And um, one day the, that land will be extended. I believe that's talking uh, about the millennial period, the, millen- the, the millennial time. Um, but that's going to happen. But you know that here we can see a type again. And this is a type of the room that God has prepared. For the Christian. And God desires for the Christian to spread their roots deep and wide spiritually. God desires that we grow in him. Now, a couple of verses I just want us to look at and then we're going to finish. But The first way that we're going to grow in the Lord is by reading this book. And if I can encourage you to do anything tonight, it's I want you to read this book, the Bible. And I want to encourage you to read through it, if you can, in one or in two years. It's not difficult. If I can do it, I'm sure that there are other people here that can do it. I'm not a great reader, but it just needs a little bit of discipline and help from the Lord to find the times to do it. But you're only going to grow when you start reading this book let me just share you a verse from 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 2, speaking about the word of God, and it says here that as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, why? That ye may grow thereby. If you're going to grow in the Christian faith, it's going to come by having a desire read this book. The Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I wonder tonight, dear Christian, how rich, how deep, how far do you spread yourself in God's word? Do you spread yourself deep and wide in God's word? Do you really get into it? Or do you just skip through a few verses? Or do you do any study in God's word? But if you're going to grow, yeah, if you're going to spread, these roots, and they're going to grow, and you're going to strengthen. It's going to be through reading God's word. And that's one thing I'd like to encourage Alan to do now is become um, a new Christian, is to start straight away, read a portion of the Bible every day, and then you'll grow. And the second thing I want us to just look at, one verse, John chapter 10 and verse 10 says this, Jesus came, do you know, he came to bring us not only life, but he came to bring us abundant life. It says here, Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And if I can leave you with this one last question tonight, is are we satisfied as Christians with just having life, spiritual life? Or do we want to go deeper with Jesus? Do we want to experience this extra, this abundant life, that Jesus wants us to, us to spread ourselves in and to spread deep and wide in. Because if we do, then we need to stop playing Christianity. We need to get serious with God, each and every one of us individually. And we need to have that desire to get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you tonight for these few thoughts that we could Um, think upon, oh, dear Lord, if there is one here tonight that has never become a Christian, we pray, dear Lord, that they may experience the great deliverance, that they may experience the new birth, being set free from slavery to the devil. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help them to make that choice, even this night. And dear Lord, for those of us here who are Christians tonight, help us, dear Lord, not just to be satisfied with becoming Christians, but help us, dear Lord, to desire that abundant life that you want for us, each and every one of us. And We thank you, dear Lord, for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.